Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Okay, nobody else is excited about this? I can go slow. Fast or slow? Okay, all right. We will wrap up. Speaking of fast, we will wrap up our series today on the fast and on giving. But of course, we'll return to the theme of giving throughout the year. This is our year of giving, and we're going to get into it. We're going to trip across it several times as we continue on our journey through the Bible. Anybody remember where we're at? Yeah, we are in Acts, and we'll pick pick that up with that next week, unless the Lord takes us a different direction. And... uh, We started this series on the first day of the fast, and we talked about fasting and a little bit about giving. And the last two weeks were almost exclusively about giving. And uh, since that's the theme again, we're going to, you know, that's the focus of the fast. We've been talking about it, but I want to say a little bit more about fasting in general today. And then a little about, a few remarks about giving at the end. And uh, the first thing I want you to notice, uh, as I'm sure you have if you are Bible students, uh, by the way, thanks to the men who joined me yesterday at the men's conference at the Church of Christ. That was good, wasn't it? For the, uh, good, uh, good, pretty good representation from the church here. It was a great time of fellowship with other believers, and there was some good stuff, good stuff coming from, uh, from the speakers. Uh, anyway, I want you to notice in the, in the New Testament, there, there are several references to fasting, but there's nothing in there that's basically an instruction book telling us how long to fast and exactly how to fast. Of course, we, we see Jesus very famously telling us, look, if you're, if you're fasting for whatever reason, don't make a public display of it. Don't walk around looking hungry, tired, looking for every opportunity to tell people how much you're suffering from your fast. Keep, wash your face, comb your hair. Look uh, as bright-eyed as you can and keep your fast between you and, you and God. But, of course, this is a corporate fast, so it's a little bit different. Um, you know, we see Jesus fasting for 40 days, and so we have a, at least a length of time on that. But there's nothing, uh, nothing in Scripture telling us that if we fast, it has to be for 40 days or for three weeks or, or for any particular length of time. There's just a lot of uh, assumptions in there. When you fast, okay? Uh, so... There are things in there. We're going to look at some, some specific scriptures, but I'm just going to refer to them now. You know, they fasted and they prayed, and then they sent out Paul and Barnabas. Um, Paul wrote, I have been in fastings often. Uh, day and night, Anna served the Lord with prayer and fastings. You see, she did these things, right? And uh, they did these things. And we see fasts being proclaimed, of course, in the Old Testament, but sometimes they did it wrong. In fact, God told them they did it wrong on a couple of occasions. Uh, Let's uh, look here at Jeremiah chapter 14. Jeremiah 14, beginning in verse 11, Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people, for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Now, you may remember when we were back in Jeremiah, they saying this is a disturbing thing. You know, Jeremiah's heart is for the people, and he wants to pray for their deliverance. And God said, no, 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 we've reached, we are past that. I have proclaimed the judgment, and it wasn't do this or else. It was the judgment is coming. So stop praying. You're my man on the scene. 
Uh, don't pray for the people. Don't pray for their good. I'm going to judge them. The fast isn't going to make a difference, and the sacrifices aren't going to make a difference. And isn't it interesting? You know, he commanded them to bring the sacrifices, but they were doing that wrong too. Their offerings and their sacrifice, they didn't have the right attitude about any of it. Uh, th- that's even explained a little bit better in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Beginning in verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Let me explain that to you. What he's saying is they are acting like they have done no wrong. He's not saying they are a nation who has done no wrong. They're saying they're coming to me telling me how much they want my presence, how much they seek answers, and they're acting as if they have a right to come before me and expect these things. After all, the garbage they've done. They ask me of the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? You see? And this is what we talked about from day one, What we, something we mention every year when we talk about the fast. They're like, I don't get it. I've not just prayed, I've fasted, and God still has not paid attention to me. And what do we say every year? We don't fast to get God's attention. Their problem was they acted like he wasn't paying attention when they weren't fasting. Therefore, when they went to him in prayer, they're acting like he didn't notice all the times they violated his commandments, which was their lifestyle. They were idolaters, right? And then, but now it's like, well, okay, yeah, that's what I was doing yesterday, but today I'm fasting. And why hasn't God answered my prayer? Because that's not how a fast works, right? Fasting is not a way of controlling God, but it can be a way of controlling us. It's not a way of getting God's attention, but it can get our attention. When we read positive things about fasting, it's, it's as an expression of humility, a desire to get it right. David wrote, I humbled my soul with fasting. And there are a couple, a couple of principles that emerge that I think are very useful to us. One of them is this. If I see something out of balance in my life, an area of my life where I'm not experiencing God's blessing, God's favor, uh, fasting can be a good way again, to get my attention on him, to consciously submit this area of my life to the Lord. I'll get a little more uh, concrete about that in a minute. Connected to that is something we talked about when we were doing the book of James. Do you remember a lot of you were here for the James study we did on Wednesday nights? And uh, I don't know if you remember our discussion on pride and humility, but in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, He writes, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. 
Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, the big point we made in that discussion, God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. And we picture proud like this, strutting, swagger, cocky. And, we, and humility is just somebody who's meek and quiet, never takes credit for anything. But then James goes on to say, submit therefore to God. Our understanding of pride and humility is a little bit different. In some cases, it's a lot different from what the Bible is talking about. Uh, the Bible equates humility with submission and obedience, right? Not mere meekness as we understand it, not just quietness. Submission and obedience is biblical humility, and pride is rebellion and disobedience. It is elevating my will above the will of God, all right? So if I humble my soul with fasting, in the context of James chapter 4, the most common manifestation of pride is disobedience now, keep in mind, not just what he says here about submitting. Going back to verse 1, the most common manifest, manifestation of pride is disobedience that comes about when we seek to satisfy our lusts, our appetites. You see, he starts off talking about what's all the, the tension, the strife, the wars among you. Where do they come from? They come from your lust. You lust for something. You desire something and you can't have it. So you hate the person that does have it. And you kill and murder and you still don't have it. If there's something you want, ask the Lord. And then if you don't want, still don't get it, check your motives. Why do you want it? Is it to satisfy an appetite, a desire, a lust? You're asking wrong. You're asking for the wrong thing. You're asking the wrong way. Or you're not asking. So I come to two concrete, useful applications of the fast for New Testament believers. And the first one, and perhaps the most common and important one, is this. It is a conscious exercise in self-control. If I fall into the habit of satisfying every craving of my appetite for food... What I'm doing is cause that sooner or later that's going to spill over and build in me the habit of satisfying every other craving in my life, even sinful ones. And these momentary satisfactions don't always manifest in ways that we immediately recognize as sinful, even though we should, and deep down I think we know better. All right? You may struggle with lustful thoughts. All right? But you think, even though you know better, you think as long as I don't actually commit adultery, as long as I don't actually physically fornicate, I'm okay. But you're attempting to feed that or satisfy that desire by fantasizing about adultery or by accessing porn or something like that. Well, what does Jesus say that that says about our heart? He says you're an adulterer, right? You may struggle with jealousy, hatred, 
But you're not going to murder or physically attack somebody. But you wish them ill. And you rejoice, maybe not outwardly, but you're glad on the inside when something bad happens to them. What do you say? Serves them right. They had that coming. And sometimes they, in your mind, they only had it coming because they were just a little too happy for you. They were just enjoying too much that thing that they have or that position that they enjoy that you don't have. And, of course, there are physical addictions as well. There's no value. We're, you know, I'm not talking about even illegal things. I, I don't want to get into an argument about whether a cigarette or a drink is sinful in and of itself. But if you're a slave to it, there's no question about it. What about worry? Fear. What is your immediate response to bad news? And be honest, because we generally don't plan for bad news. And let me just ask specifically, if the bad news is a surprise, a bill in the mail instead of a check in the mail, an unexpected bill, a diagnosis, medical diagnosis you weren't expecting, or just waking up to symptoms that are troubling, what is your immediate response? Is it a swear word? Is it, oh, no? Is it, this can't be happening? Listen. Are those God-honoring responses? I can't handle this. This is too much. Are we honoring God with a response like that? Never mind the swearing. We know that's not honoring God. Set that aside for now. If our gut reaction is worry, is that sin? Because I think it is. If we define sin as missing the mark, that's not where God wants us. In light of all he has promised, that's not a God-honoring response. So, what do we do? We are looking for a way, we are aiming for a way to train ourselves to respond to lust, to appetite, to fear, to worry, to addiction with the word of God. That's what we are supposed to respond with in every case. And we respond with the word of God with authority. We are aiming for Holy Spirit-empowered self-control. See, so I, I, we don't want to be self-controlled. We want to be God-controlled. Bible tells us, Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But most of us can't control ourselves. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us to decide how we are going to respond, to decide how we're going to act. But the fact is, habits are built. They take practice, right? Fasting serves this purpose by allowing us to consciously exercise control over one powerful drive, the appetite for food. Not to punish ourselves, right? And not, again, to get God to notice us, pay attention to us. 
It puts us in a posture of humility and submission. I force my body to submit to hunger. I'm telling my body that I am in charge of my stomach and not the other way around. And it also provides me an opportunity in the form of reminders every time my stomach growls, every time a desire for a particular food hits me, it reminds me that I should be praying more. And that brings me to something uh, to, note, to mention something that Brother Hagen called the fasted life. When Brother Hagen taught about fasting, he said he, he very rarely did extended fasts. He would fast for a day, two days, maybe three days. Uh, but he said, but I do that frequently. And even when I'm not on a fast, I'll fat, he, he called living a fasted life was just his, his way of talking about self-control. Watching portions, not indulging every single thing. There's a lot of good food. Do I have to eat all of it? All right? Uh, it's not really about how long you fast. It's really more about how often. Uh, and same way with prayer. Smith Wigglesworth said, and many of you have heard this quote, I think, I don't often spend more than half an hour praying at one time, but I never go more than a half hour without praying. I I don't often spend more than a half hour praying at one time, but I never go more than a half hour without praying. Now, fast once every half hour you know we can't really tie those things together but you know we should i I do believe our our year should be sprinkled with fasts smaller fasts perhaps even though we start off the year with a three-week fast maybe consider doing a total fast and don't worry about trying to do it for three weeks fast for a day fast for a meal Uh, a fast can mean praying an extra five minutes in the morning instead of eating breakfast or praying through your lunch break praying and reading scripture through a lunch break which kind of leads us to point two, uh, the second uh, concrete applications, uh, application. When we see in the book of Acts that they sent out Paul and Barnabas, for instance, after praying and fasting, we don't see how long. We only see that they were serious enough about getting direction from God that they did fast. In Acts chapter 13, Beginning in verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. I don't get any sense of how much time this whole thing took. Could have been weeks, days. Could have been hours. I don't know. But since they fasted, there was something at least involved in skipping food somewhere along the line. Maybe they were meeting around the lunchtime or a mealtime, and God was telling them, don't eat now, just pray. We don't know. Because it's it's almost a casual mention. The point is, they didn't just say, oh Lord, give us direction, we're going to send out uh, Saul and Barnabas, uh, hope hope we're doing the right thing. No, we, we're going to pray, and we're going to, we're going to be serious about prayer. We're not going to eat. We're just going to pray till we hear from God so we know we're doing what God has called us to do. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So there they go. Now they're appointing, appointing elders. They're starting these churches, and they prayed what? With fasting. Fasting was just sort. It's just included, but it doesn't say. They declared a two-week fast to, to determine uh, which elders and uh, when to leave and all that stuff. So uh, what I'm pointing out here is that fasting is recommended for times when we need specific guidance. We, uh, I anyway, have a tendency to be impatient. And what I mean by that is I really don't mind waiting as long as I can do something while I'm waiting. All right? I can pray while I drive. I can pray while I'm in the shower. Uh, and I can, even while I eat. I mean, why not? We have conversations with people while we eat, right? So I'm not saying don't do those things. I'm saying there are times when we should pray, and that's all we're doing. Because... Um, Let's face it, even though we can pray, we can have conversation over meal. There are times when the conversation is a serious enough conversation that having it over a meal would be inappropriate. You know, the president doesn't come on television to address the nation in times of crisis, saying, all right, get everybody, everybody settled down, go get you some food, and then they stand there with a Big Mac in his hand and a Coke in the other while he says, ah, the missiles are on the way or whatever, you know, or our nation's just come under attack. A uh, commander, you know, uh, doesn't get his troops or his officers together to issue a warning order or an operations order on the fly. You know, these, these frag orders, they got to come fast. Everybody, the, the orders are, are barked out. They're distributed quickly. They don't say, all right, yeah, everybody, everybody grab a meal. Come on, everybody get comfortable. We're just going to talk about uh, uh, the, the progress of this, of this uh, war, this combat action while we, while we eat. No, 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 there's an urgency there. We are here to talk about business. And I think this is the kind of thing we're talk, that we're seeing when we see these episodes of fasting in the New Testament. This is serious business. What we are going to do is pray. We are not going to eat while we pray. We can eat later. We'll feel, there's nothing wrong with eating. Okay, we know that. He's given us food to enjoy. He's given us all kinds of food and all kinds of things to enjoy. That's not what it's about. It's about recognizing that this, that there are times of prayer where we should be doing nothing but praying. It's a simple way of reminding ourselves that, we are, that what we are seeking is more important than satisfying our appetites. And again, it might just be for an hour. It might be for the day. We don't always need to schedule an extended fast. My friend Mike Goolsbay, many of you remember him, pastor's uh, Destiny Church down in Tulsa. Uh, I was visiting him in Tulsa uh, probably during Winter Bible Seminar one year. And he see, we wanted to get together. I don't always get to hang out with him very much when I'm down there. He's a busy guy. But he said, I want to get together with him. But, wait, but uh, I said, well, let's have dinner. He goes, I can't. He said, I'm not doing dinner these days. And I asked him if he was on a diet. He said, no. He says, I've just been pressing into God, trying to get some answers. And uh, I just asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to give me your dinner. He said, I, how long? He says, I'll tell you when. So for the foreseeable future, he was having, and it wasn't like, well, I've got a, he wasn't taking these small meals. He said, let's go get a good lunch, man. We went and got a, went to a great burger joint, you know. Uh, he says, I'm having breakfast. I'm having lunch. He says, I'll eat, I'll have a snack. He says, but uh, nothing happened. Once, once five o'clock gets here, I don't eat for the rest of the day. And it wasn't a, a diet program. It was, this was, he was giving up this meal to God to spend that time in prayer. And uh, that's a, that's a little scarier thing, isn't it? You know, it's like, well, I, I can go three weeks as long as I can put a date on that calendar. I get to eat starting this, this day. What if you never get the release to start eating supper again? Well, what happens? 
What do we find when we submit things to God like that? I'll tell you here in a minute. Let me shift here for just a moment and ask you this. Does this have anything to do with giving? You bet it does. Because what we wrestle with, especially in a free society, especially in a free society, uh, a free and abundant society, what we wrestle with is the idea of self-determination, autonomy. I get to make the decisions about my life. The whole advertising industry is built around the concept of why deprive yourself, right? You know you want it. Here's why you should buy our brand, and here's how we can help you afford this one right now. And our attitude is as long as I'm not depriving anybody else and not hurting anybody, why not indulge? And this is my money that I earned to do with what I want. And God says, well, the earth is mine and the fullness thereof. The earth is mine and everything in it. And you know what? I give the earth to the sons of men, but the tithe is holy. In other words, everything's mine. Giving it to you. Now, it's still mine. I have a legal claim to all of it. But the part I'm not really relinquishing to your control is the tithe. Now, again, this is the legal version. This is the Old Testament. I just want you to see how that was built in in the earliest times to this. The tithe is holy. He says this, I give you all things to enjoy, but don't be enslaved to anything. You can be enslaved, addicted, tied to, bound to something that in and of itself there's nothing wrong with. But as soon as you are bound by it, it's evil. He says, freely you have received, freely give. If you cannot fast, you are addicted to your appetites. If you cannot give, you are enslaved by your money. You see, there is nothing wrong with enjoying food. The, you can read stories of, these, uh, of ancient monks who just afflict. They took vows that basically said they would eat no pleasurable food, bread and water. I just need something to provide the basic necessary nutrition to keep me alive as if this was honoring God, when it was God's idea to give us such a great variety of food. And he gave us taste buds, and he gave us appetites. We're just not to be ruled by them. So if we can't say, I'm not going to do everything my appetite tells me to do, we've got a problem. We're slaves. But he didn't just give us a variety of food and taste buds. He gave us the, the capacity to enjoy all kinds of things. Including, he says, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. Now, what's he saying? I'm giving you the power to do it, but the challenge is, don't go do it. No, he wants us to get wealth. But what's he say? But give it. 
Number one, never touch the tithe. Number two, I want you to give as you purpose in your heart. I want you to give whenever I tell you to give. And if you can't, it's like, but that's mine. God's like, no, it's mine, remember? And if you can't give, then you're a slave. If I decide to fast, despite my urges and my appetites, what I find is that God himself is satisfying to a degree that I never appreciated before. If I decide to give, despite my predisposition to cling tightly to everything I own, everything I've earned, I find that it is given unto me good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There's a song, a hymn that was written by a woman named Annie J. Flint that I'm going to share with you here. I'll just read it to you. It's called He Giveth More Grace. Many of you might be familiar with this. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Man, that's awesome. Romans chapter 8. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is something, you know it's one of my favorites because I talk about this and this idea a lot. There are so many people who want to criticize the very idea of asking God for stuff, for healing, for anything to enjoy. Because they think that what that indicates is that we don't appreciate what he's already done for us. It's not enough that Christ died for you. How can you pray to God to provide you with a car? If he wanted you to have a car, he'd just give you a car. Can't you just be satisfied with what he's done? As if, we're, as if the, what we are demanding of God is so far over and above what he's already done. When the point God is making through, through Paul here is he didn't withhold Jesus. Compared to that, everything else you ask for is small. It's so tiny. If he didn't withhold Jesus, how, is, how will he not with him? How will he with him not also freely give us all things? God is a giver. God is a giver, and his greatest demonstration of that, of his giving nature, is his giving of his son. Now, this should tell us a couple things. Number one, 
what I just said. Let me repeat it very quickly. Don't hesitate to ask God to give you things. He delights in that. I know there are bad parents in the world, but I'm talking to those of you who are parents. You're good parents, right? Do you or do you not love to give your children things? Does it bother you when they ask for things? Now, sometimes they might demonstrate a lack of appreciation for the things they already have. And sometimes they ask wrong. But when my child is pleasing to me, on those rare occasions, no, no, as this one often is, and my other one who's at the Royal Ranger camp, winning in basketball, by the way. Riley and the Dillman boys went undefeated 15 games in a row, or was it 10, 10 games in a row to win the championship? Woohoo! But when my children are pleasing to me, I'm delighted when they ask me for things. Delighted. And I'm delighted to bless them with what it is they're asking for. There's a difference between asking and whining. But I want them to enjoy life. I want them to enjoy me. I want them to see me as a generous dad. God wants to be seen that way too. And and again, he demonstrated his generosity by not withholding the greatest thing he has to give. So don't hesitate to ask. All right? But also notice this. He has literally withheld nothing from us. Do you see what an egregious sin it is when we refuse to honor him with our finances of all things? Do you know what a small thing that is in the grand scope of God's economy? What a small thing money is. Jesus called it a small thing. And the fact that it is a big thing to us shows us that there's a disconnect somewhere. And if our only response, and I, listen, I'm talking to a room full of people. I know there are a lot of tithers and a lot of people who give well above the tithe in here. But there's some people who don't give at all. I'm challenging you on this. Because if our only response is looking from looking at it from a legal standpoint, say, I can't see anything in the New Testament that says I'm absolutely required to give 10%. Again, we are missing something. Because what it does say about giving is let each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, what do you purpose in your heart? And if you look at that and say, well, I guess I'm off the hook because I don't purpose in my heart to give. You better look back at that. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows nothing will reap nothing. This is for your benefit. I, you know what the number one thing I'm passionate about besides salvation itself? You ought to know this. Other than the doctrine of salvation by the finished work of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to say something about here in just a second. Sorry, I'll get right to you guys. Uh, is, is the doctrine of healing. I am passionate about seeing people physically healed. I am convinced it is part of the atoning work of Christ, and it, it is the birthright, the rebirthright of every believer to walk in manifest health 
because he's already borne all of our sickness and disease. All right? But you know what? He is our provider. The God who heals us is the God who provides for us. Jehovah Rapha is Jehovah Jireh. And he delights in the prosperity of his servants. He delights in the prosperity of his sons and daughters. Prosperity is not a bad word. It's again, though, just like fasting can be done completely wrong, giving can be done completely wrong. I agree the doctrine of prosperity has been abused. If you will send $100 to this ministry today, I promise you God will send you. You will have a check for $10,000 at the end of the week. Thus saith the Lord. There's so much manipulation. And it's, and it's shameful. But it doesn't negate the true promises of the word. You will sow. If you sow generously, you will reap generously, bountifully. Now, that's a promise. But we need to do that with expectation and with joy. Not grudgingly, not of necessity, just like, well, I'm going to fast and get God's attention. I'm going to give because i got to get God to pay this bill. No, that's not it at all. I joyfully give. I'm joyfully so. And, and it should be easy to do in a church like this. Look at what he's blessed us with. We want to come here. I just want to keep this church going. I want to keep it maintained. And look at the missions, the ministries that we support. It should be easy to get behind. We should. It's like, and we kind of do it. You know, we did it for years. Then we kind of got off of it. And then when Sydney came and started doing the clapping, it's time to take the offering. Woo! You know, now we kind of go, woohoo. There ought to be, I don't, I don't want to turn it into some fake thing, but there ought to be that something in us. Yes, yes. Now's my chance to give. Now's my opportunity to give. Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.